0: Welcome everyone to this special Saturday edition of Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. It doesn't get any better than this. In the history of this show, I have never analyzed a Masters Final and previewed a Major in the same episode. This is unprecedented. This is unbelievable. I feel great. I am so excited. I almost have that feeling, not quite but almost the feeling like a Monday after a major final. I always tell you guys, that's my favorite day. Those are my four favorite days of the year. I almost have that feeling because this is unbelievable. There is there is so much to get to. I'm going to start with the Western and Southern Open final, and then I am going to preview the 2020 U.S. Open quarter by quarter, talk about the final weekend and what I'm expecting to see over the course of the next two weeks. And I know uh, I'll uh, I'll get into a bunch of topics while I preview the tournament. There are some matches that I wasn't able to talk about during the week. So when those names come up, an Andy Murray, I want to talk about his match with Zverev. Um, you know, a Daniil Medvedev, I want to talk about his match with RBA. When those players come up, I'll take a pause and I'll address uh, the big takeaways, the things we've learned from last week at the Western and Southern Open. But without further ado... Let us get into Djokovic against Milos Raonic in this final. S- Novak came through. Three sets, a herky, a bit of a herky jerky match with a couple of different momentum swings, but the main theme was that uh, Raonic started off very very strong, very dominant. Novak didn't look right. He didn't look good at all the second set um there was a turning point, or there were there were multiple perhaps turning points in the second set, and Novak took both the second and the third set. Three set victory for Novak Djokovic. He has now won every single Masters one thousand title twice. That is an incredible accomplishment. That is unreal. I can't I can't believe that. That's crazy. Um, he also tied Rafa Nadal. With 35 total Masters 1000 titles. So there was some history on the line. Djokovic against Raonic. Novak coming off a marathon. Physical, draining, three-set epic against Roberto Bautista Agut. And I think the big question coming into this final was, how much does will Novak have in the tank? I was 50% suspicious that Novak might not make it onto the court with the neck problems, or he was also feeling very sickly at the end of RBA. He did not talk to the media after completing his match with RBA because his, uh, his medical team told him not to. So there was not, not maybe not 50%, but there was some suspicion. I thought, uh-oh, we might get a withdrawal from Novak. That would have been very unfortunate because Naomi Osaka had to withdraw out of the women's final with a hamstring injury. So that would have been double jeopardy for the Western and Southern Open. But Novak makes it onto the court. Then I was suspicious. I was concerned. I was nervous that Novak might not make it through the match. Let's go through the start of this match. I think uh, before, I'm not going to start with any big picture technical takeaways. I think the best way to talk about this match is to talk about it and break it down chronologically. So beginning of the first set, Novak does throw in a double fault in his first service game. That's the shot that you're concerned about with the neck. You got to look up. If you've ever had a stick neck, neck, stiff neck, not stick neck. That wouldn't be good if you had a stick neck. If you've ever had a stiff neck as a tennis player, you know that the serve is the shot that will give you trouble. Well, Novak, double faults in, the, in, in his first service game, but that's okay. That's okay. He, get, he got four cheap points, free points in that service game. So the serve wasn't bad, but he did have a double fault. Unfortunately for Novak, it was foreshadowing. He even made some good returns against Milos in his first two service games, in Raonic's first two service games, but Raonic holds for 1-2. And then at the 1-2 game, things go very, very awry. First forehand for Novak, really suspect shot selection. He he goes for broke on the first forehand, misses it, and starts stretching out his neck. Then he double faults for Love 30. Wins the point at Love 30. Then he double faults again for 15-40. And at this point, you know that something is wrong. Um, So Novak goes down that early break in the first set. And after that, he kind of leaves the building. He He's really not there. He doesn't have energy. He's not returning serve well. He is double faulting often on his service games. He is not doing the work in the rallies to keep the ball in play. He is stretching out his neck in between points. At this point... My biggest concern is that he's going to retire, you know, and you always know with Novak that there's a chance that he's just kind of going to wait it out, and he does have a tendency sometimes to play possum if he knows that he doesn't have a chance to win the set. Now, in hindsight, he clearly did not want to show his cards Towards the end of the first set, even if he started to feel better. And I think as as play went on, his neck kind of probably loosened up. But a lot of people might ask, why does this always happen with Djokovic? It happened in Australia against Dominic Team, where he dropped the third set 6-1, if if my memory serves me. His legs just they went out on him. And he wasn't able to, to work hard at all and he's, you know, taking tablets and trying to get his energy back. How come that happens with Novak? I don't think Djokovic is the only player to do this, but I will say that it's probably this is probably what goes through Novak's mind. If you are going to change your strategy at, at a certain point in a match, you don't do it when you're down big at the end of a set. So let's say, in if in my mind, let's say I can't get returns in play, and I want to move back five feet on my return position, and I'm down 5-2 in a set. I'm not going to move back five feet when I'm returning serve down 5-2. I'm going to wait till the next set. I'm going to let this set go, and I'm going to try to surprise my opponent with that tactic at the beginning of the next set. I think when, when Novak feels a set is out of reach, he does not necessarily want to pick up his level to 100% of what he can do until the next set arrives. Sometimes he's conserving energy, but in this case, it was the first set, so I don't think he was conserving energy. I just think that he, he didn't want to let Milosh start to feel comfortable. He wanted to take Milosh by surprise, catch him off guard. Novak didn't take a medical timeout in, in this first set. He just rolled through it. He, he didn't look good. He didn't play very hard. He dropped it 6-1, and he moved on to the second set. Beginning of the second set, it becomes clear that Novak has more energy. He's raising his level. He's serving better. The double faults um, kind of slow down. He's making returns in play. He's making Milos work. And all of a sudden, at 2-3, it's really Raonic who blinks. He feels the extra pressure. In my opinion, he felt the extra pressure. He felt Novak starting to percolate on the other side of the court. And suddenly, he kind of got uneasy. He started, you know, pressing, trying to make it too good. And this is the big problem with Raonic when he plays Novak. Coming into this match, the head-to-head was 10-0. Novak. One of the major reasons for that is that oftentimes, because of Djokovic's return and Raonic's sometimes subpar returning, Raonic doesn't get more cheap points than Djokovic, and and he needs. That's not how Raonic wins a match. Raonic wins a match because he gets more out of his serve than his opponent does, and Djokovic can kind of neutralize that. Take Milo. He reads Milos's serve quite well. And suddenly Milos isn't getting free points, and that's a big problem for him. But in this match, that wasn't really the story. In this match, it was more so about Raonic's ability to uh, finish Novak. And all tournament long, the key for Raonic is not how well he serves, because Raonic serving well is almost an automatic. It's how he backs it up. It's the first forehand. And when he played Stefano Tsitsipas in the semifinal, and all throughout the Western and Southern Open, all this week, Raonic has been so consistently great on his first forehand. But at this game in 2-3, it's not a good game by Raonic. Raonic misses three early forehands. And then on break point, Raonic hits an approach shot, and Novak hits a two-shot pass. That's going to be a major theme, and I'm I'm about to hammer that home because that's going to play a factor in the third set. The way Novak covers the court, the way uh, and and what his defensive skills can do, it makes it very difficult, of course, to finish from the back of the court. So Raonic is going to have to hit a forehand better than he normally would to finish the point. Um, so he tries to make it too good. He goes close to the line. He tries to hit it too hard. He tries to make it a perfect shot when it doesn't need to be, and that can draw the miss. So how do you remedy that? You say, okay, well, instead of me trying to hit a perfect forehand, maybe I will hit an approach shot and, and come in behind it. And that'll give me a bit more margin right? The key is finishing when you have a forehand to attack. And Raonic in this game misses the three forehands. So he said, okay, I'll try a different approach. I won't try to clobber this forehand for a winner. I'll just hit an approach out, come in. But Novak dipped the first passing shot at Raonic's feet and then made the pass on the second ball. Raonic was started pressing on the forehand side, making way too many forehand errors in the second set, and Djokovic took it 6-3. On to the third set. Novak actually runs into some problems early in the third set. He's broken in his first service game. The problem for Novak in this game was his second serve. Again, um, perhaps still dealing with the stiff neck, but... One of the major themes of Novak's winning, uh, winning streak in 2020, as he remains undefeated, is that his second serve has been exceptional, and he's hit it between 105 and 110 miles per hour. But when Novak was trying to go big and hit quality second serves in this match, he was double faulting at a very high rate. In this game, at 1-love, um, at or love 1, with Novak serving... Djokovic double-faulted on the first point. Then he thought, okay, I need to go for less on my second serve. I don't want to double-fault. Milos hits a return winner. um, And then he hits another really big return on break point. A forehand unforced error in the middle of that. So, roundage goes up 2-love. And Djokovic is is suddenly battling himself on the second serve. How big do I want to hit it? Djokovic could never figure out for a very long time in this match. How big do I want to hit my second serve? Do I want to hit it? 110 and risk the double fault? Or do I want to roll it in? And he was having trouble getting it to Raonic's backhand. Good footwork by Raonic, often running around the backhand to hit a forehand. But then at 2-love, Milos loses two points in a row coming forward. This was, this sealed the match, in my opinion, was Djokovic's passing shots. He was so incredibly savvy, so, so smart. He knows that Raonic is not a great vollier. So if you go back and you look at Djokovic, anytime Djokovic got his racket, anytime Djokovic got any kind of look on a passing shot, he made Raonic volley. He was so efficient on his passing shots. He, knew, he knows that Raonic is not a great vollier So every time he had a passing shot, he went for a two-shot pass. Check it out. Two love, first point. Djokovic on the backhand, look at him drop the racket head below the level of the ball. Extra topspin, dip it down low. It's not it's not a hard shot, not a lot of MPH or velocity. It's not that close to the sideline, but he dips it at the feet. Raonic nets it. Next point, 15-love. Same situation. Raonic has a midcourt forehand. That's the shot he wants. That's the shot he's looking for. And with a serve as big as Raonic's, that's the shot he's going to get. But can he take advantage against Novak Djokovic? That's the question. And no, he can't. Djokovic with the passing shot. Again, that's a high margin, high percentage passing shot. Do you know what percent of the time Novak will make that passing shot? 90%. That is a high percentage shot. Novak knows he doesn't need to rip a clean pass. He doesn't need to go for that 50-50 shot or that 30% shot. He can go for the 90% shot because Raonic isn't a great volleyer. Now he goes up. um, Raonic can't make this volley either. Now he goes up 30-love. And later, he'll go up 40-love. And what does he do on 40-love? He knows that Raonic is 0-for-2 at the net in this game. So he hits a short chip cross court. Brad Gilbert all week has been calling this the Federer shot. And Djokovic did this a lot against RBA who's also not the best volleyer in the world. He And Raonic, probably in the back of his mind there, knows Novak keeps passing me every time I go to the net. And now I have to hit a chip in charge. Raonic nets the backhand slice. In the back of his mind, he knows. And this is subconscious. I have to make this chip so good because Novak keeps passing me. He keeps dipping it at my feet and passing me on the second ball. He did this on break point in the second set. He did this to get the break back in the third set. And in the end of the match, Raonic was 10 for 20 at the net. Now you got to factor in. Some of those 10 points that Raonic won at the net, Novak was in no position to win the point. He had zero, zero chance. So you have to figure... Maybe maybe 15 times Novak had a remote chance at winning the point and passing Milos at the net, and he did so 10 times. He won the point 10 times. That is That was the difference. That is why Milos could not finish Novak. That first forehand, that first strike tennis, the aggressive dictating tennis that Raunic needs to play. Djokovic's defense was too good. Um, then at 2-all... Raonic does not make first serves in this game. I don't have the exact number, but he just wasn't making first serves. And the shot that's been so solid all week is the backhand for Raonic, among others. He's been so good. Um, I'm just breaking down this specific match, which he lost, but I'll get to how good he's been in a moment when I preview the U.S. Open. Uh, Believe me, I will give Raonic his due. Uh, But he misses three backhands in this game. He misses two slice backhands, one down the line, one cross court. And he misses a topspin backhand where he tried to go down the line prematurely. It wasn't good shot selection. So now we get to a break point at 30-40 because Raonic actually did get some free points in this game. And check this out at 30-40. Raonic clubs a backhand down the line with Djokovic on the ad side of the court. And somehow he gets there. Milos wins the point against 98% of players on tour with this backhand down the line. But Novak gets it back. And Raonic hits this forehand into the net. So it was Novak just Ding up, becoming a wall, making Raonic hit enough forehands, enough shots, and drawing those errors from Raonic. In the second and third set, the average rally length was much higher because Novak was putting in the extra work to get extra balls back and to try to give Milos a chance at missing the balls like he missed at 30-42 all. So now Novak up up the break, and Raonic does do a good job at 5-4. 30-all, Raonic hits a gorgeous backhand down the line for a winner. He wins himself a break point at 30-40, but Milos gets tight on a forehand, hits it into the bottom of the net, and it's Novak who holds his nerve from Deuce, playing two tremendous points. And Milos played a good point at Deuce. Again, good defense from Djokovic. Um, and Novak wins the next two point, Serves it out, 6-4 in the final set. And Novak has his double ma- his double golden masters. He wins one six six three six four 6 3 6-4 over Milos Raonic. In this match, both players returned 74% of returns. So the serve return battle was, was almost even. It was after that where Djokovic found his edge. Uh, So you look, this was very interesting. It was a, it was an interesting match because a lot of people, including myself, I wasn't sure that Novak was going to get through it, but he loosened up, he locked in. And once he did, you could see why he has a 10 love now an 11 love head to head advantage over the Canadian roundage. Okay, now let us get into our 2020 US Open preview. That is the thumbnail. It is an empty Louis Armstrong stadium. And let's get a sip of coffee before I get into this draw. No qualifiers here, no qualifiers. Um, I don't know if I have any big picture major take- takeaways on the on the draw to to get into before I go quarter by quarter. I'm I'm excited by the draw. It's a good draw. I I'm nothing really, but but yeah, I I think I can jump into the quarters. I will say for those of you who are watching me uh, for the first time right now. I will, I will just throw in there that the courts are playing probably faster than Wimbledon, faster than the Australian Open. They're playing pretty lightning quick. Now, Ash and Armstrong might be a little slower. In fact, uh, Armstrong has definitely looked slower. The match, um, today's match with Djokovic and Rounish it looked a little bit slower. Um, RBA against, against Djokovic looked a little bit slower. So the stadium courts might be slower than the outer courts, but all in all, the courts are lightning quick. So keep that in mind. That's going to change how I felt coming into this tournament. Again, um, I'll try to pause and talk about some players that I, that I'd like to, but we start with the top seed Novak Djokovic's quarter feels like a very long time now. Cause it has been a very long time now that Every single time I preview a tournament, I start with Novak Djokovic's quarter. He is closing in. He will pass Pete Sampras for consecutive weeks at number one, and he is closing in on Roger Federer's record for weeks at number one. So we start with Novak Djokovic quarter, uh, as we often have. The top seeds are David Goffin, John Isner, Taylor Fritz, Pablo Correa Busta, Filip Krajinovic, and Jan Lennard-Struf. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some players who I who I think, oh, Shapovalov should be there as well, and he's not in the slide. Sometimes I just miss dudes. Um, there are a lot of players in this quarter who I think very highly of. I think very highly of Taylor Fritz right now. I think very highly of someone who I successfully picked to the quarterfinal in Cincinnati, jan Lennard Strouf. I think very highly of Denis Shapovalov in his current state. I talked about how well he played in the first round against Marin Cilic. With that being said, I do think that Djokovic avoided all of the players who could be um, extra difficult for him. I also think that, of course, some of these players who I think highly of are on the are on the bottom half, so they'll take each other out. So here's the path that I have Novak Djokovic um, going through, and I do have Djokovic beating the Canadian Denis Shapovalov in the quarterfinal. I have Djokovic going through Demir Zumer. Now, this first round against Zumer will be interesting because Novak only gets one day of rest, and it's been quite physical for him. It's a three-hour match against RBA and a three set match not not very physical today against Roundage, but still battling still battling neck, neck soreness so don't get me wrong i'll be i'll be watching the match with zoomer against zoomer with interest but if he's okay physically he should be okay zoomer a crafty player lots of drop shots um but very underpowered next i have him playing Kyle Edmund winning, winner of uh, Bublik and Edmund Edmund, Edmund is in pretty good form. He's got, of course, the massive forehand, but he's the kind of player that Djokovic loves to play against. If if Novak plays three great balls in a row, he's pretty confident he'll get an error out of Kyle Edmund. And that's going to be the common theme here. So Edmund is a tough player to play second round. I just think he's not the style of player who, who can really bother Djokovic. We'll see, though. If the forehand gets hot... That could be a tough second round. I just think that Novak is the kind of player who really frustrates someone who who wants to be attack uh, who wants to attack with his forehand. Stroof in the third round, great player. Novak smoked him six three six one at the Western and Southern Open, and best of three sets. That'll be even tougher for Stroof, who who really enjoys playing best of three more so than best of five with his high energy net rushing style. Um, Isner in the fourth round. I mean, look. Isner's tough to play, but this isn't the strongest section. Pablo Corina Busta and John Isner in this section here. Um PCB great player, not on a not on a surface like this. This is too quick for PCB. And John Isner just hasn't been impressive to me for a very long time. Um 2019-2020. I think Isner should love that fourth round. And then Denis Shapovalov. I have Shapovalov over Gafan in the fourth round. And Shapovalov's playing great, but he's he's just again. Novak will draw errors, unforced errors out of Shapovalov. It's a better matchup than a player like. And I'm about to say, okay, so like RBA. Right? He could have had RBA in his quarter, didn't happen. He could have had Andre Rublev in his quarter, didn't happen. Those are two players where I don't think that Novak could just say, okay, well. If I don't have my best stuff today, if I don't have my best serve and my best forehand, I can just wall up, rely on my defense, rely on my, on my movement, and probably win the match. But Shapovalov, uh, let's say he he plays Fritz. Let's say he plays um, um, Isner, of course, and, and Edmund. These are all players that I think Novak can rely on what he does best and what is always around, as long as he holds up physically. I think Isner could get through his quarter with relative ease. My dark horse in this quarter is Riley Opelka. Now Opelka left he had to retire out of his um out of his match with Stefano Tsitsipas at the Western and Southern with a knee problem. So Opelka might not be a hundred percent and it might be not a good dark horse if he's a hundred percent. He could uh, he could give David Gaffan a really tough match in round one. That is my early popcorn match in this quarter. So watch out for David Geffen, um and Riley Opelka. We'll see how Opelka's knee hel- holds up. But he's playing good ball, and I'm telling you, Riley Opelka, I'm calling it right now, I think he has a better career than uh, John Isner when it's all said and done. He's a better mover, which is key. Fritz and Shapovalov should be a good one in the third round. I'm looking forward to that. If it happens. Let us move on to Stefano Tsitsipas's quarter. He is the number four seed. He has Sasha Zverev opposite him. There is Diego Schwartzman, Christian Garin, Hubie Herkacz, Dusan Lajovic, Borna Chorich, and Adrian Manorino. All right. Um, Zverev. Let me just talk about Zverev real quick. He is the player opposite Stefano Tsitsipas, and he lost to Andy Murray, second round Western and Southern Open. That is another pick that I was successful on. Here's what Zverev showed us in that match. And here's the deal with his 2020. He had a good Australian Open. He made the semifinal. I get that. But outside of that tournament, Zverev has shown consistently that when he plays a player who is his level, When Sasha plays a player that belongs on the court with him and can push him and can put him under pressure, that he will throw away games in the garbage. He will gift you games. He will double fault in big moments. You cannot rely. He cannot rely on his second serve at the present. He can also not rely, in my opinion, um, in his forehand as much as he should. You know, Andy Murray, if you look at when he had success, it was mostly... Zverev was double faulting and missing forehands. And it's not that Murray didn't do some very clever things. He did. But Zverev moves better than, you know, he he has more firepower than Murray. He is moving better than Murray right now. He should be able to beat Andy Murray. The reason I didn't think he would and he didn't is because I do not trust Zverev. And he's not given me any reason to trust him in big moments, which means I think when he plays a really good player, who can put him under pressure? I, I just think like it's disrespectful to say that I think that he's going to beat Diego Schwartzman, even though he might double fault fifteen times. So I have Diego Schwartzman beating uh, Sasha Zverev in the uh, in the fourth round. You catch my drift there? I mean, look again, incredibly talented player, but he's just not. He's not really clogging the holes. Still. I have Stefano Tsitsipas getting through this quarter. I I think he looked really excellent in in Cincinnati. Now the one thing is he kind of played the same type of players. But let's talk about let's take a moment to talk about Steph's block returns. And he kind of got away from it against Rownich. And maybe it was because Raunich was really punishing every forehand and Stefanos felt like he needed to do more on the return. He needs to fight that. But all in all, Tsitsipas has shown once again that he is very serious about developing his game and improving as a player and identifying his weaknesses and working on himself. And that shows discipline, that shows commitment, that shows work ethic, and that shows talent. That Stefanos Tsitsipas has gone out there and has identified exactly what he needs to do. And it has paid dividends. Beating Kevin Anderson. Beating John Isner. Beating Riley Opelka. Knee injury and all. And then uh, being in really good position to beat Milos Raonic in the first set of their semifinal. Now uh, Tsitsipas had some chances there and shanked some balls in big moments. Routine ground strokes. It shows me that his nerve management still isn't there. It still needs work. Um... But uh, Tsitsipas's return has improved, and his movement is really impressing me. I mean, he's got a he's got a really good combination of offense and defense. The forehand is a force to be reckoned with. The backhand is average, but other than that, really all facets of Tsitsipas's game are quite strong. I feel really good about the way Stefanos is playing, and I have him going through Schwartzman in the quarterfinal. Let me just back up here and go through his entire path. Let us see. So uh, Albert Ramos-Vinolas, or it's Alberto, isn't it? I hope I have that right. Yeah. Um, in the first round, uh, perhaps Kovalik in the second round. Borna in the third round. He still doesn't look quite right. Then a pretty weak section here. Garin, Lajovic are two slow court players. Um, I actually have Kukushkin playing Lajovic. Lajovic getting through that. tsitsipas going through Lajovic in the fourth round, and then meeting Schwartzman in the quarterfinals. Let's see, what else do we got here in this quarter? Dark Horse, I I wasn't confident about any Dark Horse here. Alejandro uh, Davidovich, Fokina is a player with pretty good movement and a ton of power, but I don't know if he's quite ready to make a jump. I think at some point we'll see him make some noise. I don't know if it's going to be... I don't know if it's going to be US Open but he's the only um unseeded player. And again, for those who don't know, my dark horse is the unseeded player who I believe could go the furthest. And I didn't I don't have any unseeded players going far in this section. Upset alert Alexander Zverev. I discussed him early popcorn um Zverev against Nakashima. Now now let me address the fact that Zverev has a brutal draw. And I'm not saying that Zverev is going to lose to some you know some middle-of-the-road player. I mean, Zverev has um, Kevin Anderson in the first round. Now, Anderson doesn't look ready to pull off an upset, and I have Sasha winning that one. But then he plays Nakashima, the winner, or, or Paolo Lorenzi. But I think Nakashima will win. I'm, I'll am i be very intrigued by that match. That's my popcorn match. Brandon Nakashima, very steady player. Good movement, um, and the kind of backhand, I haven't seen enough of it yet, but it has potential to be in the same the same category as, I'll leave Murray and Djokovic out of this and just say, um, I'll just say Medvedev, RBA, the kind of backhand that is a real, you know, automatic doesn't miss backhand, which is, it's a great base to build your game off of um, if you have the big forehand. And I've also been impressed with Nakashima's returning. It's looked very good. So he's a player who could make some noise. Um, and then he could get the tricky Manorino in the third round who uh, on a quick court, low bouncing court, he's pretty annoying to play. So Zverev doesn't get a break here. So he's upset alert, not only because he is still double faulting all the time and missing some forehands and not volleying well, so he can have trouble finishing the points against, first, against uh, certain players, but also he has a tough draw. Titi pass over Schwartzman in the quarterfinal. Let's move on to Daniil Medvedev's quarter. He is the number three seed. He is in a section opposite Matteo Berrettini, Andre Rublev in this quarter. Grigor Dimitrov, Nikoloz Basilashvili, Benoît Paire, Guido Pella, and Casper Rude. Um, all right, Andre Rublev. In my opinion. Probably the fifth best player in the world right now. Nobody wants uh, the 10 seed, the 10 seed, in in air quotes, Andre Rublev. You don't want to play him. You don't want him in your quarter. But he is in Daniil Medvedev's quarter. This is a strong quarter, in my opinion, um, because I do think that there are some challenges for Daniil Medvedev, who has looked great. And I have my doubts about Medvedev on a slow surface. I really, truly do. Um, I think he'll struggle on clay in his career right now in the, in the state he is right now. Now, don't get me wrong. There's plenty of time for him to develop and, and add new things in the current state of his game. I am suspect. I am suspect, um, about Medvedev on slow courts. And I know we made the U S open final. I'm telling you, I still am. These conditions are tremendous for Daniil Medvedev. They are perfect. They are low bouncing. They are not overly lively, yet they are fast. The ball skids through the court. It makes Daniil Medvedev's backhand a massive weapon. So I'm now high on Medvedev. He showed me a lot of great tennis against RBA. And that was a match, I'll get to it a little later, but RBA R.B.A. was stunning in that match to beat Medvedev. So it doesn't concern me that Daniil lost to RBA in that match. I think that's a tough matchup. And I think Medvedev had been playing some really good tennis. So I'm confident about the state of Medvedev's game. Berrettini's got a tough draw. I'll get to that in a second. I talked about Rublev, and um, I want to talk about um, Dimitrov as well. Let's let's do that by by talking about Medvedev's path. Again, I, I do think that there are some challenges here, so let me get into those. Daniil Medvedev, Delbonis in the first round, that's fine. Laszlo Jarrah in the second round, that's fine. Feliciano Lopez... That's a rematch from last year's uh, US Open where Feliciano had a set point to go up two sets to love or two sets to one. I know he had a set point to to take a significant lead over Daniil Medvedev. And that was a match that I circled. Why? How do you beat Daniil Medvedev? You slice the ball a ton and you go to the damn net. And that is Feliciano Lopez's jam. So watch out. For Lopez against Medvedev, that will be an incredibly uncomfortable uncomfortable match for Daniil Medvedev. And let me just say right now, if something happens to Medvedev, it'll be Andrei Rublev on the other side of the draw celebrating. Then, if Medvedev Medvedev is able to make the adjustments and beat Feliciano Lopez, or perhaps Aguito Pela beats Feliciano so Medvedev doesn't have to play him, uh, then he could play Grigor Dimitrov. On paper, that's another guy who can slice the backhand and go to the net. I'm just not quite as confident in in Grigor's execution. But again, I don't think that's a player who, who Medvedev will, will really relish playing. Then it is Andre Rublev, and this would be this would be another rematch, right? This would be another rematch of the U.S. Open. Medvedev's a tough matchup for Rublev. Rublev doesn't have the transition game to really hit through Medvedev. And, you know, both players give each other a ton of rhythm, but the Medvedev serve is much better. The Medvedev defense is much better. So I just think he's a little bit more solid from the baseline, and I don't think Rublev does the things offensively to bother Medvedev. Um, In this match... Last year, I remember I said Rublev is playing Medvedev all wrong. He's hitting with too much pace. He's not hitting angle. You know, you have to be a little bit crafty to beat Daniil at his best. And I don't know if Rublev can can is capable of doing that yet. It would be a great match to watch. My um, upset alert is Matteo Berrettini. That's just a tough draw. Nothing against Berrettini here, um, but... Uh, Hugo Umber in the second round is a bit of a bombshell, in my opinion. That's a serve volleyer, a lefty, who can get it to Berrettini's backhand and come to the net. It's a great way to beat Berrettini. So that's a match I have circled. Um, an upset alert for Matteo Berrettini. Early popcorn is Andre Rublev against Jeremy Chardy. It's going to be a lot of big hitting in that match. It'll be a fun one to watch. I fully expect Andre Rublev to win that match. I just think that'll be one that is quite pleasant on the eyes. Do watch out for Shardy's return, though, his second serve return. He is excellent at running around his backhand on the second serve return and going inside in on the forehand. It's probably Shardy's favorite shot. So Rublev is going to need to figure that out. It's going to be a good match. I'm excited for for that match. Okay, so Medvedev over Rublev, and we move on to the number two seed Dominic Team's quarter. Let's pause to talk about Dominic Team. He lost um, 1-2, and I believe it was, to Filip Krajinovic in the second round. Remember, uh, he had a bye as a seed in the second round of the Western and Southern Open. This was really, really mystifying. And he was unable to put a return in play. And he was going for way too much, unwilling to stay in the rallies, erratic... He played terrible. He played absolutely awful. He said that after the match, but, I mean, it, it was just... I don't know what that was. I, I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know what that was. Krajanovic played really well. Krajanovic made some excellent passing shots, um, and he didn't miss it all, and he didn't lose his focus, and he served really well. But, I mean, I i don't know what that was from team. Bad day in the office, something bothering him physically, jet lagged, I don't know. Tired, I don't know. He just didn't play well. And, you know, does that completely kill his stock for New York? Not really. But when you have that performance combined with the fact that this surface is... He can't be happy about what's happened here with the court surface. Those two things combined, it's safe to say that Dominic Team has taken a big hit here. And look for... For a year or more now, I have circled the 2020 U.S. Open as a tournament that I think the Dominic team would win. I I wasn't definitive on this, but because I, I always wait until the tournament, before the tournament, before I make a real prediction. But my preliminary prediction at the beginning of 2020 was that the U.S. Open would belong to Dominic team. This surface changes everything, and he doesn't quite look ready to overcome a surface that's less than ideal for him. And then, you know, going in with zero tour-level wins since, you know, before the coronavirus pause is not a great thing either. So I suppose uh, that's the deal. The cards suddenly stacked against Dominic Team, And as you can see, I have Milos Raonic beating Dominic in the quarterfinal. So I, I do have some faith that that team will get it going and reach the quarterfinal, but, but that would be a pretty nightmarish. If he couldn't finish, he, if he couldn't figure out his return against Milos Raonic, who's playing great ball, and I'll get to him in a moment, you know, I don't think he's going to win that match. Raonic, the 25 seed, is, in my opinion, the sixth best player. Or higher, but at least the sixth best player. Well, you know what? No, because that puts him below team. So I'm going to say, hmm, you know what? I haven't done a power ranking, so I'm not going to do this off the top of my head. Anyway, Raonic is a top player here. Don't let his seeding fool you. All right. Top seeds in team's quarter, RBA, FAA, Alex Dimonor, Dan Evans, Milos Raonic, and Marin Cilic. This is a really fun quarter. I'm so intrigued to see what happens in this quarter. Um, A moment to talk about RBA. Let me tell you why RBA looked amazing. He beat Daniil Medvedev, and he nearly beat Novak Djokovic. I mean, he's—yeah, he, he was as close as you can get to beating Novak Djokovic. And in the second set, he almost won it. In the third set, he almost won it. Uh, it was it, it was a, a great performance by RBA. The match took three hours. It's all about height of bounce for for RBA. If you think he's a Spaniard, so he's good on slow courts, please adjust your thinking. It's not true. He is good on a low, bouncing, quick surface. Um, When the ball gets above his shoulders, his stroke production drops by about 50%. He's a way worse player when the ball gets above his shoulders. That's just how his strokes work. On the other side of the net, his ball is so flat, so incredibly flat, especially off the backhand. I've talked about this with Daniil Medvedev at length. When the ball doesn't bounce... Really hard to attack, and he's so consistent. So what he wants against most most guys is that cross court backhand to backhand rally, unattackable, more consistent, more fit, higher shot t- tolerance. What what you gonna do? How are you gonna win the point? I dare you to find a way to win the point against Roberto Bautista Agut on a quick hard court that doesn't bounce. I dare you. He loves these conditions. So he is an excellent, excellent player unfortunate draw for him. He is uh on a collision course with Milos Raonic in the third round. Raonic owns a 5-0 head to head against RBA and RBA is not the best returner and I think he's had he's had trouble, a lot of trouble reading the Raonic serve. Um Raonic did beat him at the Aussie earlier this year. He's got he's got Bautista's number And he doesn't allow RBA to play the kind of game that RBA wants to play. You know, first strike, short points, big serve, big forehand. He comes to the net. RBA doesn't have the best passing shots. Similar to Daniil Medvedev. If you hit a flat ball, you don't love passing shots. Plain and simple. So I have Raonic going through RBA. It's a really unfortunate draw for both of them. And that's a match that everyone should watch really, really carefully. Because it could have huge effects on the rest of the tournament. My, um, oh, Dan Evans is another guy who I want to talk about. I don't want to talk about this quarter without talking about Dan Evans. I have Evans going uh, pretty far here. I have him beating Felix Oje Aliasim and getting to a, um, a fourth round match against Dominic Team. Evans' style is not the kind of style who I think particularly matches up well against team. I don't think team has any cha- has any issue with a uh, with the slice backhand cross court. and I think team can, you know with his strength and his dipping balls can it's really hard to volley on Dominic. So I do have him losing the team, but Evans is also a top 15 borderline top ten player on this surface in these conditions. So watch out for Dan Evans. Uh, tough draw for FAA. Um, getting Evans, and this is a stacked quarter with a lot of players who can who can make some noise. Yannick Sinner, the dark horse. I couldn't. I don't feel amazing about that, but he plays Karen Hatchinoff in the first round. That should be a slugfest. That should be up both players' alleys. And I think the difference with Sinner is he keeps it a little bit more compact than Hatchinov. And that's why I like Sinner. If they're going to go toe-to-toe from the baseline on a quick surface, I kind of like Yannick Sinner. But Hatchinov is more developed athletically. So we'll we'll see how that one goes. Upset alert, Marin Cilic. He's such a low seed that it's a bit of a lame upset alert. But Dennis Kudla is a player um, who will really enjoy these court conditions with a tremendous backhand that he hits early on the rise. He'll attack Cilic's second serve. Um, he will really enjoy the backhand to backhand rally against Chillich And I think that, that he can do well on courts. He's very used to, he's had a lot of repetition. Uh, he'll be very comfortable on his home soil. I like Dennis Kudla. He's always a lot better in the United States for some reason. Um, he's also like probably one of the only, him and Dustin Brown are the, are the ATP's grass court specialists and this court playing a bit like grass. I'll say old school grass, low bouncing. I keep going back to that because it's a big deal. Uh let us go before we go to the final weekend, let us go to Milos Raonic's path. Um, because I I do so with all of my projected semifinalists. Raonic, Leo Meyer in the first round, Cole Schreiber in the second, RBA in the third round. Again, that is a big one. 25 seed versus 8 seed, but two of the best players, two of the best players in this in this tournament. Alex Dimonor in the fourth round, a little bit underpowered. Um, you know, that'll be interesting. But but Demonor struggles to get returns in play as well. Um, he doesn't like to move back, so uh, I do like Milos Raonic in that uh, pretty handily. Then Dominic Team in the quarterfinals, Raonic to the semis. Let us advance to the final weekend. Oh, this is a big reveal. Who have I? Who have I chosen? Now, if you're listening on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, or audio platforms, this won't spoil it for you. But for those watching on YouTube, that is the reveal, and you see who I have picked to win the 2020 US Open. I'll keep the suspense for those listening. Djokovic, Tsitsipas in the first semifinal. Tsitsipas has... He's played Djokovic really well. Tsitsipas has the kind of forehand which is able to... Break the sidelines and push Djokovic out wide to his forehand. Does such a good job of that. I think it really bothers Novak. Tizipas is good against Novak. Um, and I think that that could be tight with the way Tizipas is playing. Goes back to nerve management, match toughness. Novak in five in that match. Uh, Novak in five. Now Medvedev against Raunic. Medvedev is a very good returner. He'll get balls back in play. I like that Raunich will will press ahead to the net and and play aggressive tennis, but his his volleys just aren't great. Uh, you know, so I, I don't think that it's it's a horrible matchup for Medvedev even though I I like players who go to the net against Daniil. And by the way, that's the adjustment that RBA made to turn that ra- match around against Medvedev. Uh, Bautista Gut started going for his forehand and coming forward, and it changed everything in that match for him. Credit to RBA there. Um yeah, so so I do, I do have Daniil, I do have Daniil in this one. He he won't give Milos anything. He's you know so much more solid in baseline rallies when it's compared to Milos. Is Milos gonna be consistent? Is he gonna get enough free points? And is he gonna play well enough behind his serve against a guy who who moves as well as Medvedev? I don't think so. So Medvedev in four. Then you would have a final, which is very interesting: Djokovic against Medvedev. These two have played such incredible matches. And look, I think that there's a chance. I think that there should be concern, some concern about Novak Djokovic. There should be some concern that he may not be able to hold up physically. We saw it a little bit this week, Western Southern Open. We saw it um, earlier this year at the Australian Open there's been some times now where Novak has looked like his endurance is starting to take a hit and maybe he's aging and maybe he just can't play um, with the kind of sustained explosivity that he that he wants to oh and then you go back to the major prior and then you have a shoulder problem so what's going on with Novak you know is he is he all there physically that's kind of the question and hey, The scenario where I see Novak Djokovic not winning the U.S. Open, I'd say he probably breaks down physically. And that could very well happen. There's a possibility there. There's a pattern emerging. Now, maybe Djokovic has no problems in the U.S. Open and there's no physical problem for the next, you know, 18 months, right? That could also happen. Right now, suspicion a little bit there. However... If anyone is going to have a problem physically in this matchup, Djokovic-Medvedev, it is, in my opinion, going to be Anil Medvedev. Yes, Medvedev is much younger. Yes, he is the more youthful player. But Djokovic has the forehand, and Medvedev doesn't. And that simply means that Djokovic does more dictating in this matchup. He just does. Now, Medvedev can dig in and do a ton of running, and they can play these marathon rallies, and it can be epic tennis— but who's going to fade first? The player who does more running will fade first. And I think that'll be Medvedev. Because Djokovic has the forehand, the big forehand, and Medvedev, it's not as reliable. He just he just doesn't have that. That's why I still go with Djokovic in this matchup. They know each other really well right now. But go back to their matchup in the ATP Cup. First two sets, incredibly tightly contended. Great match. Last set, 6-1 Novak. Daniil had nothing left. So if anything, Novak, I would favor. If anything, I would favor Novak in a best of five compared to best of three when he plays Daniil because Daniil is more likely to tire than Novak. Maybe I'll be completely wrong if this matchup happens, but that's how I see things playing out. All right, folks, there will be a mailbag on Monday. So look out for the community tab. Now, don't go anywhere. This is the kind of episode. This is a special episode. Uh, There's a lot of good stuff here. Anyone who's interested in tennis would like this. So I ask you, the best way you can help me out here, share this on social media. Tell your friends. You know, That's how you can really do me a solid. You can also leave me a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, subscribe if you haven't. Like the video, leave a comment. Those things are all great. And I really, really appreciate it, okay? Mailbag on Monday, U.S. Open. Can't wait. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.